the development of culture comes from the top. If you have the right people around you to help implement the culture, I'm no longer the sole provider of culture. They all buy in. What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. We have an incredible guest today in Nova Southeastern head coach, Greg Brown. Nova won the 2016 National Championship, and let me tell you, his guys rake. In 2017, the NSU offense hit 108 doubles, 97 home runs, with a 308 average and a 409 on-base percentage. So we dig into how they train their hitters, but also how they build the culture, which includes hashtag brownie points, theme Thursdays, and daily monologues before practice. You're going to love this conversation with Greg Brown. Coach Brown, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve today. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Let's go ahead and start off by, you know, just giving us a short snapshot of why you got into coaching and where you're at currently. Well, you know, why I got into catching is probably uh, something that I knew I was going to do since I was five years old. I mean, I was the kid in Little League who every single time a ground ball was hit and the little guy was playing in the dirt. I never understood, you know, why he wasn't paying attention to the ball, you know. So, I mean, like, I think I always, always had it in my blood. I think uh, once my playing career wound down, um, I thought I would be in player development. I had the opportunity to scout before I got into player development, which was an amazing experience. And I'm very thankful uh, for I got hired uh, in the summer of 2008 by the Houston Astros by a man named Bobby Heck, who is a uh, just amazing he was an amazing scouting director an amazing teacher of the game and i got to see the game from a whole different lens and and so during that time two drafts and working in a group that really built what became the eventual world series champion here uh, you know through our drafts and his drafts uh, a lot of that roster was composed of but I, I just learned so much about the game that i ended up um when i transitioned into coaching which i had the opportunity to become a head baseball coach at Nova Southeastern at 30 years old. That journey helped me from an evaluation standpoint. So now as a head baseball coach uh, at a university, you have the opportunity to, you know, be the scouting director as well as be, be the farm director and be the cross checker and do all the different, you know, all the different hats that, that come on with it. And I've just really enjoyed having my hands in all the different parts of the game. And so I think, you know, when I really talk about my why, I think at first I started because I wanted to win baseball games. And I think that now I'm at the point where all my focus is on is impacting the young men that I come in contact with and building a better community. Uh, I'm from South Florida and I'm at a, I'm at the um, university that was three miles from my house growing up. And uh, I, I feel just very fortunate to be in the position I am. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we all go through that transition period as well that, when we're a player, that's all we think about is winning games. And, you know, now the longer I think we all get into it, the more that we're like, this really, we really have a chance to impact a ton of lives here, which is, you know, what you're saying as well. That's not to say that we're soft and we don't want to win. We probably want to win second to anything more than, uh, more than just leading young men to where they need to go, making them better husbands, better men, and everything like that. So you guys rake. I'm just going to tell you guys that right now. <laughs> And so doing some research, just to get a little bit of background, I loved how you guys are really just stressing what an NSU shark looks like. And a couple of things that I've come across that maybe you can hit on a little bit is hashtag brownie, brownie points, which is 
Really cool. I love that. I love the interview that you guys give, the brownie points. And then we've got to hit on the themed Thursdays later. But just talk to us a little bit first off about what it feel, what it's like to be an NSU Shark. What do you guys look for? What do you stress? What do your players know that, hey, when we walk through the doors, this is what it looks like? You know, I think that the first and foremost is that we have a swing type that we're looking to uh, develop throughout our system. However, we also know that every single body has a different movement pattern and, and they, their understanding of their swing is at usually different parts, like when they enter the program. So I think that like our goal in evaluation is to bring guys that have components to what we like to teach. Obviously, a player with aptitude is going to be preferred uh, with athleticism um, and aptitude matching. It creates, a, it creates really uh, the best type of baseball player. And then I think that on top of it, we want ball players. So looking at guys from good programs, guys that have work ethic because we love to train. I love practice. My staff loves practice. Uh, we're not the type of program that sends our recruiters out on the road and misses practice. We want to train and prepare for our opponents and winning games because really the, it's about training for us as coaches and then the game is theirs as the player. And so when we when we go through the vetting process of players, I think that it's really important that we have a f- clear understanding as to what we are. Through that, I think that um, we've we've been able to minimize probably some of the misevaluations that we've had um, in the past. Maybe you know that like we, as we understand how we want to approach our offense, you know, and usually it's going to be a form of dynamic type players to power players, and then the and then the scrappy ball players. And right now. That's what we're looking at is we have a mix of that. We have young players that are contributing. Uh, two freshmen are really have really lengthened out our lineup. And I think that the long-term goal is that you have a lineup that has nine against one pitcher, and we're just trying to all be in competition with that pitcher, raise pitch counts, but raising pitch counts by swinging. And I think that's a little bit of a concept that when baseball changed into the, the, the thought pattern from Billy Bean of, we want to walk, we want to walk, get high on base percentage and everything. I think that what it created at times was a lot of defensive hitters. When people were teaching to walk, I think they were teaching defense. I think from our side of it, we want to teach, we want to teach guys that can get their A swings off more often than not. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to stay in an aggressive mode. I often get asked like, Hey, what's your two strike approach? And I'm like, uh, we don't have one. And, and really because it, it's approach based, it's, it's understanding that we do have to waste some pitches um, to get to extend the AB, but our two strike approach isn't. We're not trying to minimize our swing. Are there times where we strike out and you, you obviously would have preferred to put the ball in contact? Obviously, in play, obviously it's that's everybody, right? You know, strikeouts are the enemy, but we don't stress over strikeouts and, because we know that they're going to happen. And I think that if we can get to our swing more often, we have a chance to have for higher slugging. And if we have higher slugging, I think we score more runs. We've had a lot of games where people have out hit us, but we've won those games because we've had more damage. And so I think that understanding that type of player on the mound, we, we love guys that can compete and, and throw strikes. Uh, and I mean, that's first and foremost, you know, stuff, stuff is great. You know, we have, we have guys right now, we have six guys on our roster that are somewhere between 90, 94 or closers up to 97. I mean, we, you know, we have power, you know, those power tools, but it's got to be applicable power. And, and I think that it goes the same for hitters, right? You know, like we have a hitter who has a lot of power and he doesn't have a high contact rate. 
well, he's probably not going to do enough damage to, to warrant the playing time. So one of our focus in development, though, is to understand the players more, right, and, and understand how they're how they're really acquiring like inner beliefs as a hitter of what they want to be like as a hitter and how they project their own success, Mm -hmm. but then understanding our success and then trying to get into how do we, how do we create a complete player? And it's, I think it's, I think it's very complicated. I think it's very, um, it takes time. And I think uh, what our, our program is designed to have a mix of four year players as well as transfer players. And when you have that mix, we have to have, a long-term plan, an individual plan for each player, and knowing full well that their timetables are not going to always line up. I think on average it takes about two years for a player to um, really understand our approach. It's not something that holds true with every player. Some guys it takes longer, and some guys it's, it's a much quicker window. And so just creating creating dialogue, creating an environment where players want to really develop it's not only with the coach. It's it's going to be what they're want what they're willing to do on their own, and what they're willing to sacrifice and put in. It's a visual age, right? And we have all these access to video. And I'm a huge proponent of using my iPhone because I, I'm not really tech savvy, right? So I use my iPhone and I film the television of swings I like or, or plays I like, and then I and then I put them in our group chat so that there's a common language and you create a dialogue. As to baseball plays and, and, you know, whether it's a bunt defense you see in the playoffs, which, you know, it seems like in professional baseball, you only see it in the um, playoffs. You see it in October, but utilizing that to show, showcase, Hey, this is what we do. And here it is on display, you know, with Anthony Rizzo making a play, you know, like, in, and right. I think that it, it holds true that the players, the players themselves thirst for knowledge, right? But you, sometimes you have to feed it to them. And so we have to create and we have to create the dialogue and opportunities. No, absolutely. And I can't wait to dig into almost all of those topics here coming up, but I wanted to make one comment about your group chat and you constantly sending them information. Well, I do the same thing. And the other day I had a had a player come up and they said, Hey coach, we just appreciate that you send us that stuff because that shows us that you're learning too. And I was like, you know, I never thought about it like that. But I think that that does help with the buy-in of, you know, we have some coaches who have just, they do what they've always been taught. But, you know, I I try and take take that untraditional approach of, hey, I want to learn something new every day. And if I'm learning something, I'm going to put it on social media or I'm going to share it with our guys so they can hopefully be better than I am or be better than I was at that age, at the age that they're at currently. So I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, share your stuff with your guys like Coach Brown is right now because that does – it. you may not get a response, but they read it, and then that shows them that you are really working hard to make their careers better in the end. Absolutely. There was a huge point in my career where I took the initiative to grow as a leader and my players started following mm-hmm. versus thinking I was a leader – and talking to rather than like with, you know, like rather than I, I don't have a staff that works for me. I have a staff that works with me. And I think that's a great transition to any coach is that when you become a real servant leader, they, they understand that you're fallible. They understand that you're going to make mistakes and they're going to make mistakes, but we're working on a common goal. Those are some of the strongest bonding agents I think that we have in the game. And I think that when you really take the time to, focus on yourself and 
the kids are smart. They mm-hmm. see it. They absolutely see it. I'm a firm believer in the millennials are probably the smartest kids that have ever been on the planet. They might not be the most experienced kids, but it's the information age, and they can tell fairly quickly whether you're full, filling them full of BS or not. Yeah, my daughters are uh, definitely representative of that because they're <laughs> way smarter than me, and they're 10 and 7. Sure. All right, so let's uh let's go ahead and dig into uh you know what we do in the fall. This is kind of our first the first thing we do with the show and we're just going to go through a year of uh of player development. So whenever you start to get your guys in the fall, you know, you've got your guys coming back, you've got your transfers, you've got your freshmen. Where do you really start and just take us through a little bit of what that looks like at Nova? Well, the first thing that we do is we, we have them do goal sheets as well as questionnaires. Um, and I think that the reason is that they everybody communicates in a different way. And so learning their language is a very important thing right from the start. Rather than telling them what I know, I'd rather know what they know. And do they have the ability to communicate it uh, through the written word or whether that's verbal? Perception versus reality is usually a different thing, right? And so I think the player perceives what their strengths are and weaknesses are. And then you as a coach have a perception as to what they, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then there's probably the reality of it, right? It's somewhere in between. And, and that's where all the data and everything in the game has, has become prevalent, um, in, in creating actual facts. And so what we do is, is by creating the dialogue right from the start, it leads into our individual session when we're training systemically the the way that um you know on the offensive side the way that we're going to teach the swing and i i don't mean to make it a um singular swing but there's fundamentals and absolutes that have to exist within the swing that are functional for what i would say is the majority of players and so what we try to do is create during a four-week span of individuals training which happens in in september is we create, we start the first week is all focused on their base, you know, their foundation. The second week is going to be created on creating, uh, their gather and load, how they separate, putting them in position to turn fast. And then, you know, the third week gets, gets a little bit more into upper body mechanics and, and what we're looking for in the swing. And then the fourth week in, in individual training becomes more of an, more of, putting it all together. And so now, so now you start to see the full function of the swing really during that period of time, NCAA only allows two hours of individual training. And, and what we're trying to do is maximize our offensive approach with them by giving them the amount, like giving them basically the whole gamut of drill sets that we like to implement weekly with our hitters. Now, the reason that we do it that way is that we want them all to have tapped into all of our drill sets or the drill sets that are, that are available on the menu at that point in time. Cause mm-hmm. usually we find ourselves creating new drills, um, through just necessity and, and trying to find out what works for a player. But I think that when you create an environment where they all have been exposed to drills, certain drills resonate with certain players. So when they're working on their own, they might find success, you know, using a step back drill, or they might find success uh, isolating just strict upper body movements or using a variance in a bat, just trying to create different opportunities for them to learn. And I want athletes, you know, in the batter's box. And so giving them the opportunity to understand that there's different ways, there's different ways to move and there's different things, but having a foundational point of communication i think is the key 
I have a phenomenal staff. I really do. I'm fortunate. I am so blessed to go to work because not only do we challenge each other, we, we are friends, we grow, our families get together. It's, it's something that is I'm very proud of. Truly, the collaboration between us has been able to bring different assets. So now you get through the individual season and they're, they're learning our system. They're learning the way we communicate. And then we get into the fall season, which starts in October over a six week period of time. And there we get more into the game, you know, and, and I, I believe the game is the greatest teacher. I believe the game gives you opportunities to learn how to apply what you've learned and also learn from your failures and, and your lack of executions. We try in our 24 dates, we try to inter squad or have some form of outside competition about 18 of those dates. And that creates a competitive environment. We use film, breakdown film. I try not to over inundate players with film because I think that is one thing that we say we are visual and everything, but I think that we can get caught up in too much of the minutia of mechanics as players versus understanding the execution and outcomes. And so I get more interested in the thought patterns and how do we create a approach based individualized training for each player? Because, you know, if you have, we have 20 player, 20 hitters in our system. They don't all have a singular thought when they have a runner on third base, less than two outs, and then fields in. It's not, they don't have a singular way that they apply to get the job done. And so what we have to do is create, we have to create uh, a language that's individualistic for them, but also, I guess, systemic would be the better word of, of how it organizes within our organization and our program. And so we love to use the big part of the field. And so getting them to understand when we start hitting batting practice. I, I really, I minimize batting practice too in this fall, which is, which is something that um, has changed over time because I used to want to hit every single day, you know, and now I want to do more training every single day and feels. And, you know, I, I know Eugene Bleeker was on the podcast and, you know, he talked about the PVC pipes and uh, I'm a believer, man. I, you know, I, I buy into that. And so I want them, I want them to create an environment of training, application, review, and then we game plan as to how we're going to grow the next time. And so I think that that understanding that there's going to be growth pains in the implementation in the fall allows us to have a little bit less of the you know pigeonholing of players because I think that's the the biggest mistake I made early in my career is he can't do that you know and looking at it from a from a negative side versus, you know, he hasn't done that yet. My wife's an educator. My wife's actually an assistant principal now. Nice. And I've learned that from her is that, you know, we haven't done that yet, you know. And so, you know, getting more of a positive thought process into the development plan for the player. And, you know, we've seen guys really struggle in the fall that can turn it up in the spring. And um, I think the more you can create the opportunities for in-game execution, the more you get to see about the player, I mean, the guy that's starting at second base for us right now was a walk-on from Colorado who, um, you know, he had gamer, but he's undersized and not fast enough, not strong enough arm, but golly, he's a good baseball player. Mm -hmm. And ever since he's been starting, our team has really, really played well. And there's something to him. You know, how do you explain the it factor? And, and, and I think the only way you're, you're not going to see the it factor in drills. There's a lot of guys that have it factors in drills. I think that you're going to see it factors when you put them in competitive environments and you put and you challenge them, you see, you see failure, you see all the things that come with our game and how do they handle it? How do they handle being away from home the first time? How do you, 
how do you how do they handle you know what's going on off the field for them you know and, and home life and balancing of academics and then putting that into the field i think that all those things all that the conglomerate nature of of what it is to be a student athlete and how they compartmentalize all the different things i, I don't believe that players should be excellent on the field and poor in the classroom i don't believe that that i believe that they they have the ability to learn to train the way they do on the field off of the field and i think that by taking a holistic approach to that the fall gives us the opportunity to really stress academics because we're out and we're not on the road and to create an environment and a value system of our culture and so from a from all this coaching stuff that i'm, I'm i think i've you know long-windedly have been talking about is no, is, is that the development of culture comes from the top if you have the right people around you to help implement the culture I'm no longer the sole provider of culture. Mm-hmm. They all buy in. And there's a great book called Legacy, and it's about the All Blacks, you know, that uh, New Zealand uh, rugby team. And when you watch how generation to generation goes on from a program and the pride that they have in t- leaving the jersey in a better place, that's something that is special, you know, and the fact that. I'm in my eighth year, and I have alumni at every single one of my practices. Alumni come to all of our games, and we welcome them back. And we have professional baseball players that come back and that that are a part of our our really our dynamic on a daily basis. I think is a testimony that the jersey keeps being left in a better place, and they're excited about what the new group is doing with the jersey. And that that how do you put that foundation in? When you have in this year, we had 23 new players come into our program on a 40 man roster. Well, I think that you have to pay attention to it daily. And uh, there's a the player development is no longer simply baseball. And I think that um, in this millennial generation of asking the questions of why, what we have to focus on is creating the entirety and impacting the player from all facets because that truly has been what has linked me to my players the tightest leaving practice and be like, Hey man, love you. Can't wait to see you tomorrow, man. Can't wait to see it. Or, you know, guy, guy works really hard and, and not getting opportunities on finally gets in there and uh, does something that helps you, helps you as a unit succeed, but also seeing him succeed from all, all the hard work that he's put in, man, like it, it, just showing little things of appreciation to that goes a really long way, especially as the head coach, because as the head coach, you know, at the end of the day, you're making the decisions, right? So, right. so they're, they're going to always need that affirmation coming from you. And I think that you have to look for those coaching points. And so understanding that, that it's not only baseball, I think has really, really helped us become better at baseball. That's our fall. <laughs> Man, I love it. And God, there's so many directions that I could take this. But the one thing that you consistently talked about besides culture was the competitive nature that you guys try and build. So do you mind throwing out just some things that you guys do to try and build that competitiveness within your team? I think that it comes in the goal setting. I think that understanding that when you put players in a competitive environment, some of them are going to be alphas immediately and some of them are going to develop and some of them are going to be sheepish at first and then allow their you know, allow their competitive natures to come out. And I, I think that you just have to look for the different opportunities. And some, some of it comes in, some of it comes in the form of 
how we group players together. I try to have elder statesmen leading younger players uh, within our individual groups. I think uh, when you look at how you how you prioritize, uh, like so, for instance, we had four catchers in the program this year. Two of them were veteran players that have been in the program three years, and then we had two freshmen. And so when we would do individual for for defense and catching, I would put an older player with a younger player and two different groups. And so my focus was that within the working dynamic, that as new information was coming at them fast, they had the ability to also lean on somebody as, you know, hey, he's been there, done that, and ask the questions why. Because especially in catching, you know, I mean, but think about it from any position, right? The coach is usually farther away from the player while they're doing defensive drills, right? So if you're hitting fungos to a shortstop, there's a few kids in line at shortstop, right? Well, there's usually conversations that are taking place and you hope that they're going to be healthy conversations as to, you know, technique or, or, you know, why did somebody make a decision to do that? And so what I've noticed is when we're in our catching sessions, you know, if I, if we're working on receiving and I have a machine, a hack attack going, I can't hear them as well. So their conversations become actually more personal and candid. And I think that the older guys tend to try to help the younger guys uh, throughout it. So then when you put them through data and data collection, you know, we use FlightScope, which, uh, you know, is, is really been a game changer for our program. There's a, the technology that's coming into the game has allowed people to create baselines to where they come in the program and then when they're exiting the program we're going to be able to show how they developed and i think that it actually is a way of quantifying player development that is being a little bit more unified universal across uh, the landscape and i think that we're so new to data as a sport but yet i think it's inundated so much that we feel like it's been there forever but it's really been you know Statcast has only been around for three years in the major league level seeing seeing you know the, the lack of consistent data within the amateur world that I think that in the next five years, you're going to see an explosion of similar content being collected. And that way you can track what, you know, a 2019 that we're recruiting at shortstop is very similar in, in, in data as to Carlos Asuaje, who in 20, who, who in 2011 was the, freshman of the year in our conference 2012 was a player of the year conference and now he's the big league second baseman for the san diego padres well he was five foot seven under recruited didn't have high exit velocities you know what 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 changed what what was it in his development and then being able to go okay well this is this is where he was this is what he is now how did we get him there what could we have done better how could we have gotten there sooner so i think that creating competition starts with creating baselines, you know, obviously everybody knows stats, you know, they can look on the back of your baseball card and see what you hit, but now understanding exit velocities and understanding that, um, you know, route efficiencies or, you know, using the flight scope of catching, which it has an unbelievable feature for pop times and evaluating pop times. I think that you can put in a competitive environment because the numbers aren't lying to the player as to where they are. And so when you start to see the trends of players climbing up and you make it palatable the way that baseball cloud has made it palatable for the players to be able to use the data for teaching moments is something that we're 
we're really striving to be at the, you know, be pioneers in. And so I think that the players speak in data. And I think that over the next 10 years, the players are going to speak even more in data. And us as coaches, we have to adapt. And so I think that's form competition. And then I think that there's other ways that we compete that, that are uh, maybe a little bit outside the box, but it has to do with, you know, when uh, we have community service projects or being trying to be, um, you know, team goals of be a 3.0 GPA as a team. And I think that these are all goals that when the unit sets it, they hold each other accountable. And so players thrive in competition and you just have to present them with more opportunities. And the ones that are sheepish will rise to it if the majority, if the majority continues to encourage them to compete. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you mentioned several different times about how you, how you're building the culture. Love it. How you're building leaders. Love it. And do you guys ever do that in a classroom setting or is it just a, hey, this is, I'm going to model exactly what I want to see. We're going to talk about it. Or do you guys actually go into a classroom and do you teach what you want to see? Yeah, I think that Justin Ramsey, our pitching coach, does an excellent job of classroom work more so than we do on the position player side. We take the the coaching opportunities when they when they're there. Uh, I think that our facility doesn't have greatest environment for that classroom. The the some of the best days have been when we get rain out. If we get rain days and we take it into our uh, our team meeting room, which is across campus, because it, it it puts us in a different environment and we get to use um, visual mediums and and talk about different elements. I think it creates great learning opportunities. I, I'm a big believer in the mental game. Uh, you know, we collaborated with performance coaches before mental skills coaches. We have our own sports psychologist on campus. And so I try to bring guest speakers and, and those type of people out to our practice to put them in our environment. I think it's really important that you, that you bring people to your environment. Love it. Because that's where the player is going to feel safest to be themselves. And so when you put them in an academic setting, I think those same traits that we were talking about of like the sheepish players versus the, you know, the, you know, the people that are going to raise their hand and answer every question, I think it allows it to exist. I think that when you put it into, into the field, they might just take down one layer of, of that thing, you know, that wall that they've put up and uh, create dialogue that they, you just never know what you can maximize in a player by just asking the right question. How do you get there? You just have to keep asking questions. I believe that the inquisitive nature of a player can sometimes be driven away from the coach because you get exhausted of, you know, this player asks questions all the time. And and I think that a younger version of myself would push that away. I think that an older version of myself wants to embrace that and to create more challenging questions for myself because when a player asks a question and you don't have the answer, you, you try not to BS your way through. What you try to, what you should, in my opinion, what you should do is go, you know, I don't know. I, I'm going to go find that out. I'm going to go do some research on that. I love that. And maybe they're challenging you to think differently. And so I love when you take a young man and give them a better understanding of the totality of the play, even though it doesn't necessarily pertain to them. But like, let's say you're doing a bunt defense and you try to explain why the, you know, the third baseman has this read on that play. 
And you know, the pitcher, the pitcher is just looking at you like, well, it doesn't pertain to me. And you're like, no, but it does, you know, like your understanding of how you need to know where, where all five infield, you know, four infielders and the catcher are on this very place. So you understand what your role is and the, and how vital it is that you do the right amount of looks when the shortstop gives you picks and looks, you know, and, and when you deliver the strike, what your responsibilities are if he squares early or if the first baseman's playing behind or in front. These are all things that you have to know. So, you, so how do we create that environment? So challenge them in the context of the, of the drill provides an opportunity for you to have them look at the play from a different perspective, be able to create and diagram different ways that the play can be run. You know, if you have three different play, bump plays with a runner on first base, have them diagram it, have them show you what their knowledge is of all, you know, four infielders, a catcher and the pitcher, what's their responsibilities. And I think that it gives them a better understanding because the one thing that we, we tend to do as coaches is say, you know, well, we, we worked on that at practice. Why aren't we implementing it? Well, how did you work on it at practice? Was there a full understanding or did you have 18 pitchers and each of them only got one rep? And I've been guilty of that before. And so in order to combat that, you know, do you put them in smaller work groups? Cause I believe in smaller groups. I believe in creating, uh, you know, split squad fields at the same time working on bunt defense. So now they're, you know, each infielder is getting every single rep, you know, and, and, uh, the pitchers now, have half of the pitchers, so they they get more reps and more mound time. Uh, so I think that if you look to be better at drilling and look for better teaching moments within the context of drills, you actually learn more about the plays and how a better way to teach it the next time. And, and so it, it's it, it all feeds. I think it all feeds off of each other, and it depends on the type of group that you have. If you're teaching at a lower level of baseball, you have to be really well versed at base concepts. I think that when you teach at a collegiate level, you'd hope that you could teach at a calculus level, you know? And so I think that the group tends to dictate that. I am notorious for if we're not very good on bunt defense today, we're going to be doing the same thing tomorrow. We just, I don't want to do 40 minutes of bunt defense. I'd rather do 15 minutes today, cut our losses and then do it again tomorrow when we have an opportunity for them to be in a better environment. You know, maybe maybe we can address some of the things prior to in that classroom type setting, and then get into and then get into the drill work, which then leads to better understanding. Justin Ramsey, my pitching coach, is fantastic. I've never seen somebody keep pitchers busier in the in the context of a practice, awesome. and they work they work on the CRG, you know, which is controlling the running game, to their bunt defenses, to their signs, and it's constant. We have a drill. Uh, not a drill, I'm sorry, a rotation that takes place in the right field bullpen, which is the visitor's bullpen, where guys are down there. And if you just walk up on a practice, you're going to think that they're just, you know, sitting down and relaxing during batting practice. The reality is, is one of them's down as a catcher and the three of them are sitting on the bench and he's feeding them signs so that we can have, we can have different patterns when runners are on second base so that in the game, it's more fluid. So like within the context of the field, you can have cl- different classrooms set up in your rotations. And so I think that's a concept that I really learned from him is that, like, how do you, how do you challenge your players to maybe it's not always physical. Maybe, maybe we need to have a mental station. And so, you know, creating diverse hitting drills within the context of like, you know, one, one cage, they're feeding the machine and the other cage we're doing 
two seam, four seam work in another cage. We're doing mechanical work in another cage or in another area. We're doing feels mm-hmm. all that's happening all at the same time. Well, that, I don't think I would have gotten to that point as a coach had I not been influenced by all the coaches that have worked with me. And so I'm very fortunate from that side. Right. And that, uh, that'll lead perfectly into my next question, which is, you know, we're, we're fast forwarding to the spring and, you know, we're, we're winning as a priority, but we want to, well, our time is essential, essentially. So, uh, so what are some different ways that you found to not only save us some time, but to still get in the amount of work that we want to get in? Yeah, I think efficiency in the spring is so important. I think that in the fall you can get long. I think in the in the spring you got to keep them efficient to be healthy come playoff time, mm-hmm. and that's that's a big goal of us as a program. You know, before I got to Nova Southeastern, we had never been to the playoffs, and that included a team that had three big leaguers on it in two thousand nine. Now, in twenty since twenty eleven, we've been to the regional five out of seven years, won the conference for the first time in program history in twenty fifteen, won the national championship in twenty sixteen. Well, I think a lot of it coincides with the way we approach our, our development in the spring and keeping them healthier. I give more days off now than I've ever had before where it's like, Hey, put the bats down. Our strength and conditioning program, we have a 5,500 square foot athlete only gym and we have a full-time strength staff of four. And I think that that's a huge resource for us to be able to, to monitor their bodies, their functional movements and, and all those things. Creating efficiency, I think comes from, not only not only focused on what you're doing on the field, but how you're focused on the body and so that the body moves correctly when, when it comes down to the game, right? And so we want to manage our drills in a way where we get maximum volume, maximum variances, and attention to the individuals within the context of practice. So one, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example is that one of the, one of the ways that uh, we design our our batting practices. So what we do is we create two groups of three rotations. So let's say it's infielders and half of our catchers. Well, within there, there's group one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And so one will be in our long cage, which is usually going to be machine work. Two will be on the field hitting batting practice. And three will be in our short cages doing drill work. Okay. And so the other group of three, so group B, is going to be in the field and they're doing defense for three straight on-field rotations. So during that time, you have you have half of your offense, 10 players working solely on offense. The other 10 players are working solely on defense okay. during batting practice. And so then after the three rotations, then we switch. And so now group B comes to offense and group A goes to defense, you know. And so that's one way that we have found like to create the efficient coaching practices rather than having four groups of five where now when you're doing your cage time, you don't get to maybe say the thing or work on the thing that that player needs by, by creating the smaller groups and by creating the rotations a little bit just differently, thinking of them differently, I think creates the opportunity for you to reach each kid. And I think it's very important as the head coach that especially as a head coach who is active in the hitting, is to be able to touch each hitter every single day. And that's something that efficiency, I think, comes in big time in the spring. And then I think that when you look at how you change your drills on a daily basis, so, if, you know, are there days where we have four groups of five? Sure. 
those are the days that maybe we're just in a relaxed BP setting. It's, it's just trying to take, let's do a field day, like where we're just trying to, you know, wear out the center field fence. That's something that I want them to do. And, and that becomes a lighter load day where they don't have as much defense intensive drill work. My experience in professional baseball as a player was that I want there to be a base running hit on every single day. I want, so we spend 10 minutes on base running. We're going to spend 10 minutes warming up. We're going to spend about 15 minutes on a team defense for the unit. And then we're going to do about 15 to 20 minutes of individualized defense. And then we get into our offensive rotation. Within those contexts, we create a practice plan that lasts for about two hours. And my goal was always to finish right at that two hour mark or two hour 15, you know, just depending if we have weather issues or maybe setup issues. But I think that by being efficient, the players really value that. And mm-hmm. they know that they can give you the effort that you're requiring of them within that context of the two hours. We're, we're judged solely on energy and effort. That's how our program has been built. And we challenge our players every single day. Hey, effort. That's what I want. I want your energy. I want effort. I want us to have a good time out there. And, and I mean that. I want, I want them to enjoy their time there at the ballpark so that they want to come there the next day. Because the best part of my day is the moment I close my laptop and I get out to the field. Mm-hmm. And as a head coach, sometimes there, there are things that take away from you being able to spend all the extra time at the field, you know, and, and be a part of it. But I think it's, I think it's something that you just can't take for granted, man. It's such an amazing time that, that we, that we get to do. And, and the fact that we get to teach young men through this game, we create practices that they want to be at. Well, if you, I think if you do that, you know, you're, you're already ahead of the game. No, I love that. And so if you don't mind, let's, let's keep on the topic of BP setup and rounds. I know that a couple of weeks ago I did a podcast over this. What do your rounds look like? And, you mentioned that you've got three groups on defense. Are they playing it live off the bat, like team defense, or just they're trying to get their work in? No, live off the bat is okay. the preferred for two of the three rotations. So uh, being that we have outfielders, so usually you'll have two outfielders at least at each position. So we want them to rotate through. And so they're not getting every rep that they're getting. You know, this group, he can be on and this one can take off. Uh, I think that's an important thing. And then getting them to play a different position for their next rotation because I want outfielders to have that flexibility. That's something that we prioritize within their development because I think, especially from an outfield side, you need to challenge yourself and creep as much as you can. I think that the more you press on the defensive side as an outfielder, the more you learn about what you can do overhead, which is something I learned from my brother-in-law who was a great outfielder, uh, played with the Angels. When he was in junior college, he really took off defensively, and he was a football player. And so what he understood was angles and hips. He was a cover corner on a state championship football team in Florida, which is saying a lot. And he really understood that it wasn't always about his speed. It was more about you know his angles and his ability to cover somebody, right, like within the context of wide receivers. Right. But when you bring that into center field and you play a press defense – what you're doing every day is understanding that your jumps have to improve, your route efficiency has to improve. And so that's something that I want our outfielders to take pride in. And we were a struggling defensive team early this season. And I think that the thing that we got better at was the way they were challenging each other to be defensively during practice. And so it's easy to say, 
<laughs> I'm so dismissive sometimes of outfitters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, just go play 500, right? You know, like, what do you guys do? Well, you yeah. know, we're catchers. We got to work really hard. Well, I think that if you, I think that if you put them in a setting where they're constantly challenging themselves to get the next ball, and oh man, that one got me today, but you know, tomorrow, you know, I'm going to start here. I think that's such a cool thing for them to learn, and then it becomes competition amongst them in the outfield. And sometimes they learn more about themselves than they thought. They're pigeonholed as a left fielder, but they get the center field, and and now they have just a different perspective as to ball flight and ball angle, and uh, they they become a more well-rounded outfielder that that gives your lineup a little bit more versatility in the event that you have to pinch run, pinch hit, do do the things that we that are necessary to win baseball games. And so on your offensive rounds, what what do those look like? I definitely change it to the group. And so I I, I think that sometimes, um, you know, we have a four-hole catcher who he leads our program in a lot of major categories, like over the course of a career. It's going to be a, probably a top five-round draft pick this year. And so, you know, I do believe in back control, and I do believe that he needs to understand how to – you know, hit and run or hit behind a guy, but he has the ability to, he doesn't have to get a guy over. He can hit it over the outfielder's head, you know, to right center. And so, you know, using, using, I think an individual approach is I have a general template, which would be, we're going to have either two bunts or four bunts, depending if the player has a drag push in it. So four bunts, three backside, and then we're going to go two back, two in. Then our next round will be three, three stingers is what we call them. And stingers are you know, remember in the old uh, Peanuts where Charlie Brown used to have line drives hit at him by Lucy, like right back at him, and his hat would fall. Well, that's kind of the, the concept behind it. We want guys like to um, to really hit drive baseballs through the through the batter's box, and uh, a stinger is a hard hit, squared up ball to the backside. And, and really, what that is is when you tell people to hit backside, they they often try to use the line, and I don't like the line. I, I think I I want them to understand that if they hold the angle in their barrel, a backside hit could be, if I'm a right-handed hitter, to the left of the shortstop. Uh, a one-hopper through the second baseman. You know, it doesn't have to be forced to the line, because I think that's when our swings get the pushiest. And so, I try to stay away from that. So, our, our idea is I want to create low-trajectory line drives through the middle of the field, because there's a high percentage of hits through the middle of the field. And so, that's something that uh, we emphasize every day and then we get into our gap gap rounds. And so usually it'll be four to five. I, I, I actually do this on purpose now where I say four to five, because if they hit four good swings off and they feel good, get out of the cage. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, it's important that they're taking ownership also. And then the last round we'll do a three and sometimes we'll do a, a just a round of one, which is what we call sharks win. Cause I want to put them in an environment where they hit a walk off hit. Uh, at least three times a week. That, that would be my goal that they get that as uh, time permits. And so using a reward system too, I think helps during the batting practice of, you know, some of your guys really like to swing. And so when they're, when they're catching fire or driving balls to the big part of the field, I like to keep them in the cage. So now that round of four to five becomes six to seven, which I'm okay with. Uh, I throw 98% of the baseballs ever thrown on our field uh, in batting practice are thrown by me. I kind of have one of those rubber catcher arms from from my, I guess I'm, I'm just fortunate and knock on wood, it continues. But I really like coaching the hitter from that viewpoint because that vantage point, I can control the baseball. If 
he's struggling to uh, drive a ball backside. I can manipulate the ball necessarily not on the black, but put it hopefully more to the white to give him a little bit more of a drivable pitch. Uh, I think it's really important to have a good BP thrower. And I think it's really important to the BP thrower is working with the hitter so that they can execute. So that's, that's sort of like a nutshell of what our batting practice looks like. Now there's, there's something that I've been itching to ask you since uh, I discovered it on Twitter in the last week or two. And that is your themed Thursdays. Now I I want this to kind of be a compound (laughs) question because I, I love that. But I also, I don't want to end with, with just that. If you've got some other traditions or rituals that, that you guys, that's really unique to you guys. But start us off by talking to us about Theme Thursdays, what those are. And then if you've got anything else that's really cool, if you don't mind sharing that with us too. So Theme Thursdays are in the spring, you know, to break up the monotony of what practice is. We went to a design practice prior to a series and, and it really, it's, uh, it become themed Thursdays, but it's, it's a PFP drill that's all inclusive of basically every play an infielder and pitcher can, in combination can make, you know, so we end up turning double plays at every single position, you know, including five, four threes and one, you know, one, six threes, you know, and, and then catchers throw to bases. And it's a, it's a really cool drill and it's, it's a compound drill. And, it started with we were going to wear bucket hats. So it was it was on Thursdays we allowed them to wear bucket hats, right? You know, thinking that um, it would be a little bit cooler for them uh, from the perspective of the South Florida sun. And so that's how it started. And then and then we and then one day we we came up with a theme and we said uh, you know everybody wear like a sports jersey. And so everybody started wearing a sports jersey. So you had football jerseys, basketball jerseys, and we have one guy especially who really loves the white socks and i think every single piece of apparel he has is a white socks jersey so he was excited more than anybody and then it became it when it really became a monster was we had a former player uh his name is justin garcia and he hit 26 home runs for us in the spring of 2015 and uh which is a ridiculous feat uh, in itself he he had four through like march 4th and uh, he hit 22 of them like in the next two months it was, it was just nuts Really strong guy and a really unique personality, um, infectious kid. He talks so much and he's such this big, big personality. And, you know, my goal was always to keep him focused. And he and I had our battles. There's no doubt about it. But um, he's also probably one of the most loyal alumni I've ever, ever had. And I think he's a unique character. And so one day we had the Justin Garcia day at the baseball field. Now, he was a professional player with the Houston Astros at the time. And so, um, he was he was training and our guys all dressed up as Justin and they had been teammates with him. <laughs> and it is just amazing. Like and so like he's a big muscular bound dude. And so they wore V necks and uh they had, you know, just just uh flashy sunglasses awesome. on. Very yeah, very Miami ish. And <laughs> um and we actually filmed it. There's a pretty cool film. Uh we have a great media guy, his name's Michael Callahan and he has a passion for baseball as well as the media that the uh, content that he creates and and he came and he highlighted Justin Garcia day and it, it just, it was just epic. Right. And so it really became a thing that they wanted every single week. And so, you know, my, my job, it typically is tasked with creating what the, what the theme is every single week. And so, you know, this year, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, with the masters, we got to do, we did the masters and this is, this is a pretty cool moment is that, um, all our guys were dressed in 
golf polos and you know <laughs> pants and uh they filmed they filmed a funny commercial about like you know a tradition like nothing else uh, with the masters where one of our players is walking with a with a golf bag with baseball <laughs> bats you know like, like yeah. baseball's going on in the background and then on top of it we filmed brownie points every thursday prior to a series which brownie points you referred to earlier is is it's just our series preview and it's become kind of a goofy fun thing like where our sports information director and I sit there and they ask questions. So, you know, you'll see all the guys doing our drill work behind us mm-hmm. and they're all in their theme. And I'm telling you, we have the best practices we have all year it, it are always on Thursdays because the guys get geared up for it. Again, there's an excitement to be at practice, which mm-hmm. I think is a very important thing. But a funny story is, so we were doing the master's practice. Former major leader Raul Banyas is a friend of mine and uh, he was coming out to practice because he wanted to, uh, he and I, have been influenced by the same hitting mentor as well as a uh, professional personal coach, which is uh, a woman named Kat Croslin, who's the professional life coach. And then as well as Craig Welbrock, who is a hitting guru. The neat thing is, is that he and I have, and then also when I was a player and you know, obviously he was a player at the time, he was in a much longer career than I did, uh, but we trained together. And so we create a friendship and he, he came out to the field to come uh, see some of the drills we were doing because he's helping out of the high school and he, he asked some questions for me and I was like, dude, you need to come just see us train. And I think, I think maybe we can come up with some ideas as to how to help your team. And so he comes out to practice and he comes out there and he's, he, he thought he was at the wrong thing and <laughs> like that our practice was canceled because he thought faculty was out there hitting batting practice because oh, everybody's funny. in polos, you know? And so then he, he just, he's watching us. He's like, but man, those are some really good swings for faculty, <laughs> you know? And so luckily he didn't leave, but he comes uh, over and sees me. I'm in a green master shirt, but you know, it, it's just, I think that, I think that that environment of having theme practices creates a culture of it's okay to have fun at a kid's game. You know, we're, one of my one of my greatest mentors in the game was a guy named Tim Cousins, who was uh, an ABCA speaker this year, and uh, just did a podcast over there on the ABCA podcast. And he, he's uh, a catching uh, for me. He's the best. He, he's the guy that taught me everything I know about catching. Cuz used to say it was a suspended state of adolescence. It was baseball, you know. And I really, it's always stuck with me. And I, I think that you need to realize that we are all just playing a kid's game, and. and Make it that, make it that environment uh, as much as you can and still demand them to, you know, w- through our drill work, it's not like they get like a free pass because they're in golf pants. You you <laughs> wore the outfit, you know, you need to execute, you know. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, we did a WrestleMania one and the WrestleMania one, um, you know, my biggest thing was, uh, hey, no thongs, okay? Like, you know, <laughs> you guys can wear Speedos, but no thongs, you know. But uh, I just, I think that, I think that they embrace it. I think uh, when you create, and something that's personal to your program. So it, when you put things out there and the guys really embrace it, it, it's just a cool thing to do, man. So other traditions, other traditions that we've had, I do love freshman karaoke uh, that we do <laughs> on the bus. And uh, sometimes I've been known to, I've been known to get up there and rap after, uh, you know, a big series victory and stuff too. Like uh, they have to sweep for, for me to rap, but uh, you awesome. know, that is something that uh, it's just, again, I, I think that you can't take yourself too seriously. No, I love that a lot, and I was watching uh, your brownie points after the Masters theme, and I, I didn't know that that was the theme, and, and so I'm lo- I'm watching, and I see all these kids and that are shagging in the outfield in these khaki shorts, and I'm like, man, these guys, they, they keep it casual, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw that, oh, it's the Masters theme. 
Now I get it. So all these kids running around with polos and khaki shorts. I love that. And so talk to us about something else that, that your kids love. So if you just walked in one day and you said, hey, we're doing this today and everybody erupts because they just love to do it, what would that be? We do monologues before practice. And so, again, it's another way that I think that you create a diversified student athlete, right? Is public speaking is part of this, right? You know, like part of life and, and preparing them for success. And I think that um, one of the things that has come up with that is we've had some really char- good characters and funny people. And so, um, monologue started. And um, the first one, that I really, really remember of like the one that took off and that everybody kind of followed suit was if you remember the movie, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, there was uh, a scene where, where he gets up there and he sings a Dracula song while him and uh, the girl is loving her in the bar yeah, on the piano. And so we had one of those, uh, blades those body blades. Mm -hmm. And for some reason that was the prop that you had to use when you did it. Right. And so he used that prop as the piano and he sang that song acapella and our guys lost it, right? We all <laughs> lost it, right? It was fantastic. And that kind of raised the stakes on it. And so ever since then, it's a daily thing uh, that we do. And it's so, it's so silly. It really is, but it lightens the mood. It gets them into a work environment that is very comfortable for us, which is we're comfortable in our own skin. Right. And, and I think that's a very good place to be as a program. We had a player who I don't think any of us had heard speak. I mean, he could have been French for all we knew up until this point in the spring where he was asked to do the monologue and he came up and I had no idea even what they were talking about. But evidently, he's really good, like really good at Fortnite, which is a video game that has taken over, I guess, every clubhouse in America. Uh And so this guy who we have never heard speak (laughs) publicly all of a sudden is just going on and on recapping his latest win because evidently he wins all the time. And so now the tradition has become that he, uh, before every game, only on game days, he gives recaps of his fortnight and there's a question and answer period on it. And again, I I don't know how these things truly manifest themselves, but they're ours. And um, it's one of those things that I think only in a team environment of baseball can, can they really exist and, make sense, but make, make totally no sense to the outside world. No, I love that. And, and that, that's just sitting over here. I am already enjoying your practices and I'm not even a part of it. So it's fun. It's loose, but you obviously have a ton of structure and a ton of learning and individual growth going on. So a plus work and man, I, that's uh that's great. But let's talk about your own personal learning. I've got two more questions for you. And sure. you're a guy that, that is consistently trying to better himself. And you can just tell that just by, you know, the hour that we've spent together. But talk to us about something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about and you're trying to dig more into. We probably need a whole other podcast when it comes to this. <laughs> but, you know, in December at Pitchapalooza, I got to meet Eugene Bleeker. And, uh, you know, I think he's my spirit animal. I think that uh, he's somebody that, I've really been challenged to in my thought patterns. And when I heard him speak uh, on hitting, I, I was, it was like the first guy in a long time that I've heard speak. And I'm like, man, I feel really aligned with the way he's thinking. But he was 
he's much more uh, scientific than I and very just very advanced in the FMS and, and all the things. And so I would really say since December, and he and I hit it off and, and we've been collaborating ever since, is that I, I think that he's challenged my thought patterns and for me to learn in a different way than I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable with scientific and medical jargon. I'm not. I think I'm a pretty intelligent guy. Uh, you know, I was always a good student, but that stuff never came natural, natural to me when it came to understanding the human body. And so I think that Eugene has put me on to different rabbit holes <laughs> that, oh, that I've gone yeah. down. And, and I've actually been reading medical journal articles. And I have a physical therapist friend of mine who helped rehab when I had an Achilles surgery. And uh, so when I have questions, I kind of go to him and he'll send me articles and be like, hey, check this out. And and then I find myself in medical journals going down like the footnotes and like references. And then I'm like, you know, six journal entries in. And it's something that I've really enjoyed uh, going down. So that's been something that I've really dove in. I also used it as a catalyst to create better visual mediums for me in dissecting swings and breaking down swings. You know, I think I've always had a natural propensity to understanding uh, swings. You know, uh, as a scout, I had a lot of success in, you know, signing some pretty good players and and, uh, creating, um, you know, pretty good track record as far as developing hitters and stuff. But I'm like, wow, what if I, what if I, understand this on a different level. So my mind was blown when I got to meet Eugene, like most people I think who meet Eugene, he's a fantastic ambassador to the game, I mm-hmm. think because of his enthusiasm and passion for the game. And I think that a major league organization is going to hire him and, and uh, it's gonna, they're going to look back on that in about five years and realize that uh, he was the critical hire that, that changed change and transformed an organization. Because of all that, <laughs> because of all that, uh, I, I realize, you know, if I feel that passionately about him, I need to make sure that I start versing myself in some of the knowledge that he had. And, and I think that that's something that um, as, as you get into collaboration, which I don't think that, this is probably what I learned. And maybe this is a better way of a more concise way of answering your question is that collaboration is such a healthy form of learning. And I think in so many ways, I was collaborating internally, like with my own staff, with my own players. I don't, I'm not the guy on Twitter promoting or sharing and doing a lot of things like that from a perspective of I'm smarter than you, you know, mm-hmm. but what I've done is I've, I've found people like Eugene and collaborated with them directly and said, you know, Hey, let's check, like, let's commute a di- uh, create a dialogue that's consistent in nature of what is our goal? Well, our goal is to make an impact and create better, you know, better uh, fundamental relationships with the players that understand their body and they can move better and create better patterns and dispel the hitting coach that says hit the ball on the ground, you know, and, and, you know, like and, and get away from that. Because I think one of the things that's really interesting is that when you're in a hitting coach, a hitting instructor versus coaching a team, you can be really, 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 really focused on one player swing. I think that a challenge is as a coach is that you have to focus on 20 player swings to make a team win, right? And, and there's a different offensive approach to hitting and there's all these different elements. But I'm inter- I think that the collaboration that takes place is that I'm learning 
on an individual level from them. And maybe they're learning more of the macro and how we implement offense within our program. So I think there's a cool collaboration that takes place there. I, I think that I'm more apt to look for those opportunities with, than I was in the past. And so I think it's an important trait that I've learned. And uh, I, I probably should thank my wife for that because she is the person who um, I've watched grow as a leader and as, she's an assistant principal uh, at a school. And I've just watched this amazing change in her. And I think it's because her principal is a transformational leader and she inspired me to want to grow even more. So I love that. And man, that's, I am about out of space for notes, but I've got one more question for you and that's what are your favorite resources? So you mentioned that you love to collaborate with other coaches, but if you're really going to dig into either a book or somebody's website or, or like you're getting into the medical journals now, is there a particular author? Throw some of that stuff out for us. Yeah, you know, um, right now, like I think that I have become very much more visual. So using the the online, you know, Google Drives, you know, the Lynn Google Drive is amazing for me. Uh, the Pitching Ninja one is amazing for me. And so I've really, I've really used, utilized those websites on a daily basis and looking at swings. I am a, a little bit old fashioned in the sense of I like phone calls and I like conversations because I feel like that's, I learned a lot better that way. Reading has always been a strength of mine. And for some reason, I'm just, I'm in a different creative process right now. But some of the books that have influenced me the most, uh, one of them is, is uh, The Obstacle is the Way mm, by Ryan Holiday. Good. And uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, Legacy, uh, which is the All Blacks, that's a that was a great one for me. I do read the John Gordon books. Uh, he's got a new one coming out uh, at the end of May, and that's something that um, I think is very simple and palatable. My reading gets consumed in articles because mm-hmm. it seems like I'm more apt to click on article links than I am to pick up the book because you're always connected to the phone. And I don't say that necessarily as a bad thing. I think that it's just something that I need to incorporate. I need to get, I'm sure in my creative process at some point, I'm going to get back into reading a hard bound book. I think that when you're looking at your own education, I think that you have to blend it. And I think that you have to realize that we need to be hip on technology. We also need to be hip on the old ways. There's not many leaders in this world that don't read. Mm -hmm. So I think we all have to seek ways to read every single day. And so I, I think that when you look at where information comes from, I think that the more we can dive into our own journey, the better. So yeah, absolutely. And, and like you mentioned that just having a dialogue, you can't have a dialogue with a book. You can get a lot of information from a book, but how we perceive that information and how we apply that information is going to be a little bit different. And so, yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I, I love having conversations with coaches, obviously. And, you know, podcasts or I, I used to read about a book a week or every two weeks. And now I'm digging into a ton of great podcasts out there. But for our listeners who would love to get in touch with you and maybe ask you some questions or maybe have some baseball conversations with you or just, you know, anything like that, where's some good contact information where they can get a hold of you? Well, I, I think on um, Twitter, you know, going to my Twitter handle, which is brownie uh, underscore GB44. I think that's that's probably the easiest way to get to me uh, direct. Uh, my email, I really only use a work email, which is, which is greg.brown at nova, N-O-V-A dot E-D-U. But uh, that's, 
that's probably the worst way to get to me because you know we're typically that's going to be through recruiting and administration emails that I got to deal with on a daily basis. But I think that uh, a more direct way would be to use the Twitter. Uh, follow us at uh, NSU underscore baseball, uh, and I think that you'll get a lot of our content. We do again a lot of video work and, and interviews, and you'll hear a lot of uh, from our players. And I think it's a really cool perspective as to. Um, you know, what's going on in our program. Um, and so uh, those are probably the best ways to reach us. Love it. Now, Coach Brown, you've got an open mic. Is is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? You know, just one, I think that everybody should continue on this path of learning and collaborating. And, and uh, like you just said about podcasts, I think that this podcast has really taken on the opportunity to have conversations and people to be more candid, I think, than ever before. You, you know, I've 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 been on multiple platforms. I appreciate you having me on. I think it's an awesome uh, opportunity um, to again just talk baseball and hopefully grow this game. And I think that the one thing that if I could give a piece of advice to people that was given to me in my career that's really helped me is that whatever job you're in, focus on being the best version of that. Everybody uh, really wants to climb quickly in this game, in this industry. Uh, I never thought I'd be an area scout. I got the opportunity to be an area scout. I never thought I'd be the head coach at Nova Southeastern University. Uh, that wasn't in my plans, and it ended up being the best job for me. I think that when you put your head down and you grind and you do the things that are essential to your job, making impacting the people that are around you, people notice. And you don't have to have a Twitter presence or, or tell people how great you are. I think that people know how great you are when they see it in the body of work and the way your players talk about you. And so I think that just the, the more focused that people can be on achieving where they are, there's going to be greater growth and rewards in the end. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to view the show notes or get in touch with me, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com or on the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association app. Help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. But before you go, here's a quick word from our friends at Keeper of the Game. Hi, this is Ben Hunter, Keeper of the Game's Youth Ambassador and the Student Director of Baseball Operations at Reedy High School. Keeper of the Game provides great baseball experiences for kids with special needs and disabilities. Keeper also creates service opportunities for teams like Reedy Baseball. Check us out at KeeperOfTheGame.org, Keeper of the Game on Facebook and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is at BaseballKeepers via Keeper of the Game.